0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that as we come to the very end of Romans that we will not lose concentration, but that we will hear uh, what Paul continues to speak about because these last words are very important. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when I was uh, 12 years old, I was sent to boarding school in Australia. So I still remember going to the airport with my parents before I went to Australia, and uh, I was at the departure gate. And you know, I was I was very teary, and then uh, my mom was very teary, and even my dad was very teary. But I remember their last words to me, right? And I'm sure that actually you'll be able to guess. They their last words to me too. What, what do you think they said to me before I went on the plane, right? So, well, they said uh, they love me. Okay, uh, that's true, yeah. Study hard, uh, keep warm, stay safe. Now, you know, these last words are very important, right? Because, you know, they sort of strip away all the trivialities of what they want to tell you. And they sort of just tell you what they really want you to hear, right? You know, that they love you, keep warm, stay safe, study hard. And I think that that's why the last words are very important. And today we come to the last words in the book of Romans. And unfortunately, I think for many Christians, we don't pay attention to the last words. And because we don't pay attention to these last words, we actually fail in our Christian life because we think that, oh well, hey, The book of Romans is nearly over already. Why pay attention to these things? But actually what is being said here is really important and we need to listen to them. Because unfortunately you actually see many Christians who fail because they don't listen to these last words. So let's look at the beginning of the end. right? So in verse 14 he says, I myself am convinced my brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another, right? So, it's quite interesting, right? Because we've been studying for months the book of Romans. We've been going through 14 chapters of really dense logic, you know. Uh, Andrew has been pouring out his heart trying to explain to us all these really deep theological things. And then Paul says, actually, uh, in my heart, I'm convinced that you guys are very good Christians, you know right it's like you're full of goodness you know you're you're living rightly ethically morally you're living righteous lives and you have good knowledge right you're complete in knowledge and in fact your knowledge is so good you can teach one another so in fact he's really saying that they're spiritually mature christians so that begs the question right why did paul bother to write 14 really long difficult chapters to the church in rome if he's already so convinced that they are such spiritually mature Christians. Well, the reason is in verse 15, right? It says, yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Now, this is a bit of a shock, right? Because he's writing to them, in fact, he's writing to them boldly, right? He's like, he's writing in your face words, right? Because he wants to remind them. He wants to remind them, not because, you know, he's some sort of nagger, right? You know, I, 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 I have some relatives of mine and they're very good at nagging. You know, it's like they always keep nagging you day after day, right? You know, put your shoes properly, you know, do this. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about my wife, okay? Other people, right? They, you know, they you know, so they just keep nagging you. But, but Paul is not nagging you, right? He's not nagging the Christians, but in fact, it is his, his, he sees it as his responsibility to remind them boldly. Because it says there, because of the go- the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, He gave me to priestly duty to proclaim the gospel of God. Now, this is so important for us today, right? This is the first thing we need to hear, the last words of Paul, is that the preaching of the gospel of God is not about evangelism. The preaching of the gospel of God is often reminding. And I think that as Christians, we need to constantly be reminded over and over and over again till we die of what God wants us to do in the way we live and how we are supposed to think in terms of gospel knowledge. Because we are very prone to forget what God wants us to do and we are very prone to forget the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. So I remember a pastor from another church uh, in Singapore once complained to me and it was very sad. Actually, he was very sad. He said to me, he said, you know, I have these elders in my church. They are much older and they are elders in the church. Not, not, not elderly, elderly people. Right? They are elders in the church but they don't want to come to the church camp. In fact, they don't come to church camp anymore. Why? Because they told him that they already have learned all these things. They don't need to learn these things. It's for the younger people. I remember another Christian um, told me that somebody also told them. They said, oh, I don't read the Bible so much anymore because I know most of it already. Now, when people speak things like this, right? Oh, I don't need to read the Bible very much. I know most of it. I don't need to go to church camp because I, I learned all this stuff already. It betrays that they are actually not following the last words of Paul, right? That actually, what we need is to be reminded constantly of what God is saying. Because we are so prone to forgetfulness, prone to coldness, our fallen human nature is rebellious against God and we need to be reminded at all times. You see, the way we see the Bible, sometimes the way we see subjects that we study at school, right? It's like, you know, I study accountancy. All my accountancy books are true away already, right? Once you pass the exam, why do you need your accountancy books? It's like, or you study maths. Anybody keep your maths books from school, right? After you pass your exam... You, you sell them away or you, 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 you put them away, you never see them again. But that's not the case, right, for the Bible. You know, I have some friends of mine, I really admire them. They read the Bible through, the whole Bible through, every year. Year after year after year, they read through the Bible. Now, you could ask yourself, what's the point, right? You read it once, why do you need to read it again? but they keep reading it because as they read it, they keep being reminded of its truth and applying it to their life. You see, as a Christian, there's no such thing as cruising, right? You know, it's like, well, you know, I read through the whole Bible once. You know, I've sat through the whole Bible series once. I will never have to read Romans again because, you know, Andrew Wong has preached it to me. I will never have to touch the book of Romans again. It doesn't work that way, right? Because... We need to keep coming back to God's word in order for our faith to be vibrant and strong. So I remember sometimes you know people come back from Australia or England and they've been going to university there. They got converted at university and they come back and they say to me, "Oh, you know, ah, you know when I was studying in Australia, I felt that I was really strong as a Christian. Right? But now that I'm back in Singapore, my faith is not so strong. I find that I'm drifting. You know, some people are you're drifting, right?" And I said, of course, what? You know, because when you're at university and you go to a good uni- you know, university fellowship, in the middle of the week, you've got your midweek fellowship. And Friday night, you've got your Bible study. then Sunday, you got your church. You're being reminded of God's Word week after week, at least three times. But now that you're back in Singapore, you have to take responsibility yourself to read the Bible yourself so that you'll be reminded and your faith will be strong. Because the end purpose of what Paul is doing here comes at verse 16. right? He says, He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to talk about something a bit uh, complicated, a bit cheap here, right? There are two very important theological terms that you need to know. Justification and sanctification. So justification is where Jesus Christ died for you. You accept the death of Jesus at that moment in time, right? At that moment in time, you are justified before God. You are declared righteous. You are no longer under sin. You are saved. Sanctification is the ongoing process in your life where the Holy Spirit is working your heart day after day so that you become more and more righteous before God in your life. And that is an ongoing process in your life. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that he keeps reminding these spiritually mature Christians of God's word so that they will be sanctified in the Holy Spirit and that there will be an offering pleasing and acceptable to God. So you remember early on in chapter twelve, right? He said that the right response to the to the death of Jesus, to God's mercy, is that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. And I remember when we, we were preaching through it, I said one of the problems with being a living sacrifice is that the living sacrifice is always trying to crawl off the sacrificial table. Because you know when you're a dead sacrifice, you just stay there, right? But a living sacrifice is always trying to climb off. But that's why we keep reading God's Word, so that we will keep giving ourselves as living sacrifices to God day after day. And the Holy Spirit works through these reminders, right? So the Holy Spirit is not something where it's giving us new thoughts, right? or new revelation about God, about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is actually using the old revelation, being reminded of the old revelation and working through this reminder in order for us to be sanctified. So I think that's a very important reminder of what the Holy Spirit really does, right? Because I've got charismatic friends and they think that the Holy Spirit's main role is to give me new revelation, Right? The Holy Spirit told me this. The Holy Spirit is telling me this. But the Holy Spirit is not about giving us new revelation. The Holy Spirit is actually about using the old revelation and the reminder of the old revelation and sanctifying us, giving us the power to live righteously. Now Paul then goes on in verse 18. Right, He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Elysium, I fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Now. If you were to write the book of Rome, Romans, right to the Roman Church, uh, I think you and I would phrase it differently, right? So if you read this, right, look at how Paul phrases it. He says, right, that um, I do all these things, why, so that I will lead the Gentiles to obey God. That's a really strange way of talking about evangelism, don't you think? Because you know when we think of evangelism, we would say through the proclamation of Jesus Christ, I have sought to let people accept Jesus Christ or to come to faith or to receive Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But that's not what Paul says. He says that his proclamation of Jesus Christ is so that people will come to obey, come to obey God. In the beginning, right, so we are right at the end now of the book of Romans. In the beginning of Romans, Paul says the same things. He says in chapter 1 verse 5, Through Christ and for His name's sake, we have received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Now you notice here that saving faith results in obedience. Obedience. There is justification, but justification must be completed by sanctification. Faith that does not have obedience is not true and saving faith. In the book of Romans, now I was reading this uh, book recently. I recommend it to you. It's uh, it's called the Secret Thoughts of an Enlightened uh, Convert. Right. So it speaks of this woman who's like a very successful liberal university. Uh, you know, teacher in America and how she actually becomes a Christian. And the way that... uh, It's very funny because she's actually a writer as well and she's a professor of English and uh, she describes her conversion, right, as impact. She says, only one word can describe my conversion. It's called impact, right? It's like, to me, becoming a Christian is like having a car crash or having a train wreck. That's what she said, right? That's what being a Christian... Uh, affected her life it was like her being in a car crash it's like her whole life changed right her worldview her priorities the way she relates to people her employment her friends everything changed because when she came to faith it resulted in obedience which then changed everything about her life and I think this is very important for us to understand because there may be many people who see themselves as Christian, but the only Christian in inverted commerce right you know sort of like Christian in inverted commerce because they think that well you know I go to church on a Sunday and that makes me a Christian, or you know uh, I got baptized and that makes me a Christian but In Paul's eyes, in the Bible, unless there is obedience which comes or flows from faith in Jesus Christ, you're not really a Christian. Unless you've had a car crash impact, train wreck impact in your life from being a Christian, you're not really a Christian. So the question that I think that Paul is really posing to us today, the next slide, is, has my faith in Jesus fundamentally led to obedience to God. Because if I have faith, but I don't see that obedience to God, then if you look at this passage here, the last words of Paul, then that's not really what Paul is going for. right? He's saying, I have been leading Gentiles to obey God for what I've said and done. And in fact, this is what Paul has been doing, or God has been accomplishing through Paul in the whole region of Jerusalem to Elysium, right? So, if you look at the map here, there's a map, okay? So, Jerusalem is where Christianity began, right? So, Jesus Christ died, crucified Jerusalem. The gospel then spreads all the way to... Ah, you can't see the words. I can't see the words. Maybe you can see the words. But you see all the way up to the north, right? That's like the northernmost Roman province, Elysium, right? So, it's like from Jerusalem all the way to... Oh, great. Okay, to Elysium, right? God has been working through Paul to bring the the Gentiles to obedience from faith. And that's why we see here in verse 22, a historical note why Paul is unable or has been unable to visit Rome. So in verse 22 it says, This is why I have often been hindered from coming to visit you. Okay. Now, when we read this passage, we're meant to ask ourselves the question, who has been hindering Paul? Who has been stopping Paul from visiting Rome? Well, the implied person is God. God has been stopping Paul from evangelizing, uh, from going to Rome because every time Paul wants to go to Rome, God is saying, oh no, you need to go somewhere else to evangelize, right? Uh, I feel like going to Rome. No, you got to go somewhere else to evangelize. Oh, no, I've got to go somewhere else. So God is the one who's actually hindering Paul from going to Rome. But now, in verse 23 to 24, Paul finally is able to go to Rome. So in verse 23 it says, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, if you notice here, Paul is actually saying that he's not going to Rome because, you know, he heard the pasta is really good or the pizza is really good in Rome, right? Or, like you know, he wants to see the leaning tower pizza when he goes through or, you know, he's heard the Italian wines are very good that year. But actually he wants to go to Rome because he, God is calling him to go to Spain to do more evangelism, to, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles there. So they will come to the obedience of faith. But he has an ulterior motive, right? If you look here in verse 24. He wants to go to Rome. Yes, he enjoys their company. He wants to visit the Christians there. But he hopes for them, in verse 24, to assist him on his journey there. Right? So, what Paul is really saying is that he wants the Roman Christians to assist him, to pray for him, maybe give him financial assistance, maybe even get a few other Christians from Rome to come to help him in his evangelistic endeavor. Now, the reason why this is so important for Paul is, is because he sees Jesus Christ working through him and through the Roman Christians to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And fundamentally, it's about fulfilling God's plan for Jesus Christ. Because in verse 21, right, uh, i put up here verse 21, uh, next slide, right? Is it verse 21? Yes, verse 21, right? Which is here in verse twenty one, which is quoted in isaiah fifty two It said, "Those who were told about him will see, not told about him will see. those who have not heard will understand. Now the quote here in verse twenty one comes from isaiah fifty two Now this is a very, very important part of the bible. if you if you don't know much of the Old Testament, isaiah fifty two and isaiah fifty three are like the the key. Chapters in the whole Old Testament because they point to the death of Jesus on the cross, right? So the Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 speak about the suffering servant. Uh, God says that this suffering servant will suffer, serving people and dying for their sins. But you notice know, something strange, right? In Isaiah 52 and the suffering servant, this suffering servant will rise again from the dead, right? And when he rises, he will sprinkle many nations and those who have not been told, they will see and what they have not heard, they will understand. So Isaiah 52 and 53 don't just speak about the death of Jesus, they speak of the resurrection of Jesus and they speak of the ascension of Jesus and when Jesus arises from the dead, he will continue his work by spreading the good news of his death to people. And that happens through people like Paul, and Paul wants the assistance of the Roman Christians. So, God wants his people to be coming together with Paul to evangelize and to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, this actually tells us that evangelism is a non-negotiable part of the Christian life. right? Because this is what Jesus Christ is doing in the world today. And we, as God's people, either we directly evangelize or we assist in evangelism. That's what the two people are doing, right? The Roman Christians and Paul, they're either evangelizing or they're assisting evangelism. Now, I think that's so important for us because there's some churches which are visited and they're very inward looking. you know there are some churches which are very inward looking. Everything they do is to feed themselves, edify themselves, build themselves up, but they're not really involved in the work of isaiah fifty two or Romans chapter fifteen verse 21, they're not actually fulfilling what Jesus Christ is doing in the world, which is bringing the gospel to people who have not seen Him and have not heard Him. But this is what we must do. Right? It's like if you go to a church and none of their finance budget is meant for evangelism and it's all for like edification, if every program the church has is just to you know be inward-looking or to build up the church for its own glory, then it's actually not listening to what Paul is saying here. So I think the question that we have to ask ourselves right now is, are we involved, together with Jesus, in evangelism? Are we praying for evangelism? Are we just praying for you know, ourselves? Financially, are we just giving money, to edify ourselves, are we giving money to evangelize the lost? Our resources uh, focused together working with Jesus so that those who have not seen will see the risen Christ. Now the last part comes in verse twenty three onwards, right? Oh sorry, verse twenty five onwards. So actually this long letter. Um, Paul says he's coming to Rome, right? But actually, he's not directly coming to Rome. Because in verse 25, he says, Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings... They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So anyway, before the Roman Christians get too excited, uh, Paul says actually he's got to make a pit stop before he goes to Rome and actually, it's a very long, <laughs> very long uh, detour Okay, because this is the map, right? Okay, so like Rome is over up here somewhere. Okay, so we believe that actually um, Paul is in this region. Uh, the next slide. Okay, the uh, next slide. Oh, hey, eh, where's the earlier map? Oh, before that, before that. Okay, so you see. Achaia, Macedonia here, right? So Italy is actually very close by. Right? He can actually just go straight across, right? But actually he doesn't, right? So you see where Corinth is? Okay, next map. So he's in Corinth, just there, right? But actually he says, hey, I'm going the other way, right? I'm actually taking money from the churches in Corinth, Macedonia, Achaia, okay, and I'm going to bring all the way back to Jerusalem. Then I'm going to go <laughs> to 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 Rome, right? It's a bit like I'm in JB, and I say, hey, I'm going to come visit you in Singapore, but before I do, I'm going to Bangkok, and I'll come back on my way back, right? Now, the reason why Paul is doing this is uh, very familiar, because apparently there's a very severe famine in uh, Israel in 46 to 48 AD. So a lot of uh, Christians, Jewish Christians, were suffering because of this great famine. And we know that, you know, around the world, whenever there's a disaster, like, okay, so like in Palu, there's the earthquake and the tsunami, right? So, you know, people are, Always having aid agencies, financial and uh, you know humanitarian aid come in. But actually when you read the last part of this chapter, Paul is not going there for humanitarian aid. The reason why he's going to Jerusalem is for the sake of unity. It is because he's taking money from the Gentiles... In Corinth area to bring to the Jews in Jerusalem. That is the reason why he wants to to take this long journey all the way to Jerusalem. Now we already learned earlier on in chapter fifteen right that there in, in the in this ancient uh, Christian church in Rome and in other parts of the ancient world there was still a lot of tension between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. The Jewish Christians never really accepted the uh, Gentile Christians, and the Gentile Christians were like looking down at the Jewish Christians because they had all these hang-ups about food, right, and stuff like that. So the reason why Paul wants to take this journey is to bring unity or to continue the theme of unity between the Jew and the Gentile Christians. And in verse 30, he says that the Roman Christians have a part to play in this unity. He says, right, I think, did I have the uh, quote? Did I put it up there? No, I didn't. Okay. Verse 30, right? I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. So when Paul says, I urge you, uh, okay, fine, I urge you. But it's a very strong urging because I urge you by the power of Jesus Christ. Okay, So this is a non-negotiable urging, right? I urge you by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying for me. Now the love of the Spirit that he talks about here is not like the lo- I-, I love the Holy Spirit, right? It's the, the love of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit has for all people. So if we have the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, the love of the Holy Spirit that we have for all people compels us to pray for this unity. Right? And we are meant to pray, or the Roman Christians were meant to pray that he would bring the donations safely to Jerusalem and that these donations would be received in the right Spirit. That means that the Jewish Christians would accept these gifts from the Gentile Christians and they would accept it in terms of brotherly love and unity. Now this is a very important lesson for us, right? because how often do we pray for unity among Christians? I mean, that's something that I think we pray about very rarely, right? Unity among Christians we're not talking about theological differences here. Right? We're talking about unity among Christians because unfortunately, even in Singapore today, oh, okay, yeah, this the earlier part, don't worry about that. Okay, so, even in today's Singapore, there are a lot of disunited churches, right? Uh, Someone once made a joke that Singapore has a problem of church growth, right? So, Singapore churches grow by church split. Okay, so, um, very often, churches will split for all sorts of reasons which are non-biblical and non-theological and have nothing to do with right living or right thinking. Right? So even for Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church, I think they've been around, someone says it's independence, right? So I think we were part of a Chenli Presbyterian Church, a very large Chinese church in Geelang many years ago. I wasn't here at the church But many people tell me what happened and apparently um, there was a falling out because of non-biblical issues, right? There was some protocol issue, misunderstanding about using the church hall, misunderstanding about, you know, sharing of premises. So the English congregation left. Then they move around, mixed in different churches. And then many years later, they joined another church called Changi Bethany Presbyterian Church. Again, history repeated itself, there was a falling out between the English congregation and the Chinese congregation over finances, use of the church hall, uh, you know, so they left, so then it became Bethany, Trinity, Presbyterian church. Right? Now, the problem is, every time these tensions and divisions and splits happen, there are real casualties. Right? People leave the church and people never come back to church. Because they are stumbled by the lack of unity and love which is meant to be exhibited among God's people and by people who have the Holy Spirit. So apparently, when uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church, which was the predecessor of Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church, left Chenley Presbyterian Church, uh, it was about 300 to 400 strong. But after all the moving around, all the church splits, the number, I think at its lowest was like 50 people. So you can see all these people, if you do your maths right, right like about 350 people, if it was like 300, 300 400 people, basically just fell by the wayside. Right? I mean, if they found a home in another church, I mean, that's good for them, right? But if they just left and they never went to church again, that's because of the lack of love and unity and oneness among God's people. So I think as we look at the last words of Paul, that's something to take to heart, right? Because this is not a new problem. This is a problem which really existed in the Roman church in the first century. Where in the first century, we saw that the Jews and the Gentiles struggle with unity. And where today, Christians struggle with unity as well. And therefore, when we read verse 13, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. We should pray for unity and love and oneness among God's people, especially among our church because that is something that we should never take for granted. So as we come to the end of the last words of Paul, and obviously we're going to look at the last chapter next week. We need to take to heart what we have learned today. That firstly, we have to be very, very strong in the fact that we need to keep being reminded boldly of what God's word is saying. We should never feel, okay, I've arrived in my knowledge. I've arrived in my behavior. I keep... I need being to be reminded day after day of what God is telling me. And secondly, I need to be evangelizing. Even if I'm not evangelizing in an active way, I can assist in evangelizing by praying or giving to evangelism. And lastly, we need, our urge should join the struggle to pray for unity and oneness and love among God's people. Okay, So let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, Uh, We really pray, dear Father, that you'll help us to hear the last words of the Apostle Paul in your word, in the Bible, in the book of Romans. We confess that we need to be reminded boldly all the time. Even if we are spiritually mature, even if we are full of knowledge and full of goodness, we need to be reminded because we are so quick to forget. And we're so prone to have coldness in our relationship with you. Dear Father, help us to also put evangelism as a priority in our life. That even if I'm not evangelizing actively on my own, I need to be assisting in evangelism by praying. And lastly, dear Father, that the love and the oneness and the unity among God's people is something we can never take for granted. But we are urged to join in the struggle For that unity by praying to you constantly. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at btpc.sg.